Welcome to the Edition Wars podcast, where we take a deep dive into the mechanics and playstyles of all the editions of our favorite game. We look at what worked, what didn't, what led to better games, as well as what didn't, and we talk about it all. In this episode, we're going to discuss the next part of Unearthed Arcana, the third edition book of odd rules modules to make your D&D game do some real different stuff. This one's going to be good, though. This is this has some good stuff in it. Uh, excuse me, Sam. Our, our last several episodes were also heartbreaking her, her works of staggering genius. I'll have you know. Eh, okay. Uh, no, too much. I'm, I'm talking too about much. the Unarth Arcana book. Oh. Most of it <laughs> so far has been not that. I mean, well, I don't want to say not that great. Some of his are really good ideas that I would just never use them. Yeah. Well, like the, the Gestalt thing is a really interesting idea as an alternative approach to the sidekick system. In mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. Uh, 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 you know that box set, <laughs> uh, the essentials kit. Thank you, God. <laughs> that box set, the, the, the one with the thing, and the, yeah, the, uh, the one that came in a box. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm, yep. there's only been one of those for the entire history of D and D. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I knew what you were talking about. I knew what you, I knew. Right? I said it. It's the one with the sidekicks <laughs> in, of course. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we have here. Um, is getting into some more engine level stuff. Like up to this point, you've seen races and classes. Now we're getting into like how action is resolved, right? And that's yep. that's a real spanner in the works. Um, so, do you want to start us off, Sam? I just want to say for the audience, we're starting with chapter three. I know <laughs> this was Brandis's idea. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> guilty as charged. <laughs> um, so I know a lot of people listen while they're commuting, but if you happen to be listening at home and you have this book, you know, then you can follow along and you can notice the art that we talk about and talk, you know, look at the charts and we mention tables quite often and stuff like that. So, so there you go. So now we're talking about building characters. Yep. And, and they call the chapter that, even though that's a, specifically not what it's about. Not, no, not really. well, and see, that's. That's why I think I thought we were on chapter four because the whole part, you know, with all the different class options and the and the uh, the gestalt thing and all that 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 we had just talked about, that is a building characters thing for me. And and this is skills and feats and things mm-hmm. that are feet adjacent weirdness and flaws, which are you know take one of these and have more feats, so it's an anti feat. Sure. I'm going to buy that negative one feet. Cool. Anyway, um, so alternative skill systems. So uh, this section I unabashedly love for its place in the history of D&D. For what it's doing on its own, <laughs> oh, 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 honey. <laughs> um, but But as a window into design thinking and history, it's beautiful because – this is where we see the bridge from third edition skills to fourth edition skills and maybe a little more dimly to fifth edition skills. And so I think that's really cool. Um, I, yeah, maybe dimly. Yeah. Um, I mean, in fairness, they had to learn why stuff that they did in fourth edition was not perfect either. So it's sure. fine. Sure. Um, so, 
So right. Although the pre the precursor to the to the uh, skill challenge is right here. Yeah, and, and that's so. that's awesome, right? That's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. So so we start with um, some, I guess you'd say some recaps of just how this does work. Um, oh right, right. So they're they're trying to make choosing and leveling up faster. So so the very first mm-hmm. thing, maximum ranks, limited choices. So this is definitely a point both toward fourth and fifth where you don't keep spending skill points as you level up. Mm-hmm. There, This is them realizing, man, that's a lot of small choices that don't make anything interesting happen. And nothing mm-hmm. changes, really, um, except that you keep up with whatever your mark is. Mm-hmm. And so, well, and that and that's a problem, right? Because as we talked about before, it means if you make the wrong choice, oh yeah, you're, now you're, you're just have, behind. You, yeah, you're behind. Um, and so you you have a number of skills that are just maxed out. That's that's the deal. Let's move on. Um, in terms of like what they're offering, and then there's <laughs> and it gives a it gives like the table with here's how many skills yep. you get based on your class and whatnot and okay fine and, and then it's, there's it's very straightforward well there's a very complicated section for multi-class characters because of course there is right um, well anytime you start the, your your section with multi-classing under this variant is a little more complex yeah um yeah you're always <laughs> telling the truth but only yes. technically because it's always right. a lot more complicated mm-hmm. um and so um then there's a variant where you can learn new skills. So if you increase your intelligence modifier, which you're not going to do mm-hmm. unless you're a class that is going to do that anyway. Right. And the skill knowledge right. feat, sure. Then level-based skills, which is uh, maybe an even clearer precursor to um, fourth. Fourth, fourth ed skills especially because uh, this strips your uh, – your roll down to for all class skills, you have one D 20 plus character level plus modifiers. Now that's three points lower than you would have if you just maxed out skills and you had enough skill points to get all of your class skills, which by design, no one does. So this is going much broader than anyone could ever actually go and then keeping up with it. So Mm -hmm. in the net, it's a ton more skill points. Uh, and then cross-class skills are just 1d20 plus modifiers. So this is this is what I love so much. This is where you can see them making the mistake that leads so <laughs> specifically to why fourth ed skills work exactly the way they do, where mm-hmm. you either add uh, what is it half your level, or you add half your level plus five. Mm-hmm. Right, right. If you're trained, like yeah. this is the specific thing yep. where they they see, oh right, this is we we simplified and that was good, but it created this ever widening gulf such that mm-hmm. if you uh, had the skill, you couldn't fail, and if you didn't, you couldn't succeed, and that's not interesting. Right. Like that doesn't allow any tense situation to happen when you do the other thing. Right, and so well, because in play, in play, what happens is someone in the party yeah has that skill and they're just going to succeed yeah 
right? And someone someone doesn't. And that person is never going to say, I'm going to do that thing. I'm going to make that check. I'm, I'm performing this activity that would bring about that check, right. that role. Well, and, gonna, right. and, and I mean, God help you if it's a skill that everyone needs in order to be adventurers today, such as mm-hmm. ride right. if you're in a chase on horseback, mm-hmm. which is the, the <laughs> example that Fourth Ed used. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, this is quick to cover, but the text is dense because they want to talk about their thinking. And we, we've kind mm-hmm. of explained where they're going with it, but um, – well, I mean, that's this whole chapter is rationale, right? Yep. yep. I mean, this chapter has a dis- distinctly, I don't want to say, it has, a, a, to me, a different tone from the previous two. Because this one is, here's this system, here's why we even put it in this book. Yeah. And I, I can't help but suspect strongly that it was written by a different member of the uh, sort of unusually large uh, design and additional design mm-hmm. teams. Right. Sure. Um, sure. There's so many names in the list in this book that probably a different person wrote this, or it was, you know, smoothed out by a single person, but taken from a very different set of cutting room floor leavings. Um, right. Or there was a brainstorm session. Well, yeah. And different people went off to write little pieces of different things, and then one person, as you said, had to smooth it up. That so, makes sense. But it, but because of that, then that means if you're only writing a page or two, maybe three, uh, you know, in Word, right? You're mm-hmm. you're writing up your submission. You're going to rationalize. Here's my rationale. Here's why this should go in the book because we know we brainstormed 15 things and only five of them are getting in. Yeah. Right. So. Um, and so next up is complex skill checks, which is the thing you were talking about, where mm-hmm. we're seeing the the one step away from fourth head skill challenges. Um, it's just that uh, I, I feel like this is showing them uh, some key things about why fourth head skill challenges need to work the way they do. And mm-hmm. then there's still some lessons that they haven't quite got to. Um, and so the, the key thing here is that you have successes required for different complexities. Does that sound familiar? Um, Mm -hmm. And then rules around trying again for failure. And um, one of the things that they're seeing here is that there isn't enough of a way to decide that the challenge is over and you're done and you failed. Mm Right? Right. Right. Um, and the other big thing is that um, they talk about how you'd write a skill challenge for all of these different individual skills, but that means that the conceit is you're always rolling the same skill. Right. Yep. That's boring. <laughs> like, right. It's just like, it, th- that really strips it down to just a series of roles without any significant mm-hmm. change in right. the fictional positioning. And right. then where are you? Like, that's uh, that's the thing that gives people the sense of like uh, fights where the bad guy has too many hit points you're just tacking down a tree. It's because nothing visibly changed since the last time I acted, except that there's now a bigger dent in the bad guy. Well, mm-hmm. I need something to b- 
be more different. And so that's right. what's missing here. If you are rolling, let's say, craft over and over and over again. And I tried playing a crafter in uh, more than one third ed game, and it can be pretty stultifying. Not gonna mm-hmm. lie. <laughs> um, and they touch on how you would take 10 and take 20. Um, and a lot of those taking 10 are kind of, mm, uh, I guess we're taking failure off the table. That's not ideal. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, this, this section for me personally, um, I did not read this section when third edition was the current edition. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking at this only from the standpoint of someone who knows about skill checks or skill challenges from fourth edition. Sure. Um, and, and various ways to, you know, resolve skill based tasks in other systems. And I have to say this, this is, it reads to me like a solution in search of a problem. Mm, that's not unfair. Uh, they don't. They don't have quite interesting enough of examples for why you'd use this. Right. And uh, and and like you say, you know, it it it. A lot of them, all of them, actually, that I've looked at, they just want you know the, the example of the example you gave of crafting something that they say, oh, a four to six successes are required for an ordinary complexity skill check, uh, and you're doing a weaponsmithing check four or six times to see how many times you succeed. Like, it's just not... Or, um, or however many, because it's not clear when right. you would stop and fail. Right. right. And, 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 and that's the thing, right? That's why I say it's almost a solution in search of a problem. Like, yeah. I, I, uh, the reason I prefaced my comment with I'm looking back on this is because I don't know what the scuttlebutt or what the sort of the... the 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 gestalt feeling about people with this you know with skill ranks and all that was in third edition at the time that this book came out like i don't i don't know what the sort of ethos was when people would come to this and read it and go oh oh i could i could use this for a b c d and e in my game like i don't i don't get that sense for any of these well so even the framing of this is I have a new idea. Let's use the previous idea in the <laughs> sense that like, what they describe here for weaponsmith and crafting was already the idea. Mm-hmm. That was just mm-hmm. how it worked to a, a considerable degree. I'm not going through every detail to make sure I have that quite right, but it's close enough as makes no difference. Um, yeah. You make a series of checks. You try to whittle down the gold piece value of the thing, silver pieces at a time, and it takes forever. Uh, this is why no one does non-magical crafting, because it's terrible. Uh, well, and let's look at the handle animal table, right? It says that these types of complex skill checks work well with extended training times. So then it gives you this this table that says, well, uh, if you're trying to learn how to do combat writing, uh, that's going to take six weeks, and you need six successes for a DC-20 handle animal check. Right. And then 
uh, just doing heavy, you know, using a horse or training a horse to do heavy labor only takes two weeks. The DC is 15 and you need two successes. So in other words, they're assuming you're going to roll once per week based on the way this table reads. Yep. There's a bunch of examples here. And that you have to succeed every single time. Yep. And so what what is the alternative? If you don't succeed, do you fail the whole thing? You got to start over with your six weeks again, or do you just fail that week? And so your your training is extended by a week. So now your downtime, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, it's, it's not very, uh, nuanced. I'll put it that way. Well, and there's a sidebar, why complex checks right at the bottom of that page Mm -hmm. that says complex skill checks, let players resolve complicated situations with fewer die rolls. That's a, that's a baffling statement. That's, yeah, that's specifically the thing that it isn't doing as far as I can see. Um, And like what this sort of is, I I have to think really deliberately looking past because I I didn't invent basic math and these people, (laughs) these writers knew it just as well as I did is that the more roles you get, the more the average is just going to be what shines through. Mm -hmm. Right. So, If you're rolling ten d twenty, whether or not you succeed on a ten uh, on the roll of a ten matters even more than if you're rolling one or two. Is is what I'm saying. So yeah. that's that's actually stripping all the tension out of it, unless you unless any failed roll fails the whole game, in which case mm-hmm. the tension is also gone because forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Yeah. Like you just can't do that. That's not going to yeah. fly, right? And yeah. that's why skill challenges in fourth ed had have people still play fourth ed, so have um, this whole issue in their design around the number of failures before you have failed the challenge, and it's it's the core design problem of them uh, because sometimes you need. If you need eight successes before three failures, I'm sorry, you're gonna fail. Yeah, yeah. That's how the math works. Yeah, yeah. And and to be and in in other words, you'd be lucky if you succeeded, right? You, which you have to which be means that super lucky. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and that that means so some might say, well, that's that's putting the randomized, you know, effect of dice in the forefront and that's a good thing right somebody might say that that you're putting that that sort of random outcome of the dice in the forefront so that that makes it worthy as a gaming mechanic right but it kind of doesn't match with the heroic nature of the characters and what the whole point of the skill check is like so and to be fair so to be fair the handle animal uh, description, for example, it does tell you, like I, I kind of flippantly said, oh, how do I know if I failed? It tells you that if you roll three failed results during this complex check, right? So you got to roll for every week. So if you're doing a six-week training and you roll three failures, the whole thing, the entire attempt fails and you have to begin the training again or or completely abort it and don't even bother. Yep. And so that's that is a fourth edition skill check right there. I want to learn how to do combat writing. It's going to take me six weeks. I got to make six successes before three failures. Otherwise, my time has been wasted. 
and that balance of uh, you know six over three um, mm-hmm. that feels exactly like um, you know fourth ed skill checks and mm-hmm. right. I don't know it really emphasizes for me that that thing that people outside D&D always accuse D&D of not doing. It's just that the books don't tell you enough to do it. And so only good GMs seem to know about this secret hack to fix your skill challenges. (laughs) Have something change. Mm -hmm. Like whether the role succeeds or fails, that's what fail forward means. Just something changes. Mm -hmm. Now the the fail forward ethos doesn't work in other parts of D&D, right? Because Mm -hmm. there are plenty of single checks where you fail and nothing materially changes because you didn't pick the lock, you need to find a different solution, isn't a material change, right? Mm -hmm. Or you failed your saving throw, you didn't shake off the effect, nothing materially changes except that you lost time. That fail forward won't work there. But this is the place where fail forward is meant to work. And I think a lot of people who don't even know about that terminology – uh, really engage with the action that it's espousing of just no matter what happens on your role in this skill challenge, narration occurs next. And that narration needs to either close off possibilities or open up possibilities or ideally both mm-hmm. because that's just change. And ideally you'll go on to use a different check for the next person down the line who does something right right so right yeah that's my brief diatribe on skill challenges which i think we've done before but here we are and probably and 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 so for me i i also ascribe to the idea of uh if there are no real consequences why is that player rolling a die yeah Right. Like if, if, if you're, because that's also how you get to fail forward. Right. Yep. Because if you have the players and this happens a lot, like I, one of my groups has a couple of teenage players and they're really gung ho and they want to freaking roll for everything. Sure. They'll say, Oh, I'm doing this. Can I roll? And then they roll with, before I even answer. Right. Yep. And I've begun training them to not roll the dice and expect to get that answer, you know, that because sometimes they'll roll and they'll be like, yes, I rolled an 18. I was doing this. And it's like, no, 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 you don't roll until I ask you to, you can fiddle with your dice all you want. I don't care. But that number that comes up isn't important unless I've asked you for a roll as the DM. Right. But here's where I was going with this. These players love rolling dice. They want to roll dice all the time. They want to do a perception check every 10 feet of the dungeon, right? I want to I want to look around. I want to see this. Okay, fine. But unless you're specifically looking for something really really specific, you don't need to roll again. Right? You've right. all you've are, you're already looking around. You're already being vigilant just by the nature of the fact that you said that when you walked into the place. Yep. Right? It's only if there's something specific now that you're looking for. Like if you walk into a room and there's a bunch of furniture there, you want to search it. Okay, now you're, you're going to roll something, right? Maybe, depending on what, how you tell me what you're doing. But the idea is you don't just roll for everything. And I think that in late 3E, if not early 3E, and definitely in 4E, it was let's roll for everything. 
And 5e has some of that too. And and part of that, I think, in in fourth and fifth is this reduced uh, skill list, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so now it's a, it's a very wieldy, you know, it's not an unwieldy, I've got 25 skills and various ranks amongst them and half of them are knowledge and all this kind of crap, right? There's not an enormous page of skills. It's just 10 or 15 skills. It's a small list. And I know what they all do. I can ask to roll that skill all the time as a player. And it takes the place of narrative and it stops you from being able to do that kind of fail forward narrative, right? Yep. Like the, the the thing where you're trying to pick a lock in the door, right? Well, there is a way to fail forward. Okay, you opened the door, but you messed up your thieves tools, mm-hmm. right? And as a DM, I could I could make the the ruling. Hey, look, every thieves tools kit, every every you know set of thieves tools has, you know, five breakages possible. After the fifth time that you failed a lock picking check, that whole kit is no longer usable because you've eroded the value of it. You gotta go back to town and clean it up. Right? Um, sure. You just get into well now that I know you're doing that, next time I'll pack three more sets because a lock picking set is right. cheap. And right. it's important well, that it's sure. cheap. Sure. Right. But I'm just and, yeah. and and so right. And so the other side of that is, well, do I really want to take their resources if they're going through the dungeon? Right. Like that's, so that's, that's a whole different conversation. My point was you can make any, you can make anything fail forward if you have enough time to think about it. But if everybody's rolling something every two seconds, you're not going to have time to think about how to make every single roll important and make, even if they fail important, like you, it's just impossible. Sure. I agree with that. So anyway, that's, so that's my rant. <laughs> no, that's that's totally uh, totally valid. Um, and so we get another uh, extensive sidebar, half page sidebar on how many successes, and start start getting into your um, success and failure chance for various numbers of required successes and the number on the d twenty that the player needs to roll to to succeed. Um, mm-hmm. and they're, they're imagining that in each case, uh, three failures ends the attempt and, um, then they, they, you know, map that out for, uh, value. If you need a two or better, six or better, 11 or better, 16 or better. And then if you just have to have a 20 to succeed, um, for simple complex three, complex five, complex 10. Um, and I mean, it gets grim in a hurry. Um, <laughs> yes, it does. Like, if the required rule is 11 or better, and you need 10 successes, then you have a 1.93% chance of success in the skill challenge. Yeah. We can round that down to nothing. Right. And, you know, that's where things like aid and other really start to matter, or any other... Like skill buff that you might have from an item or a spell or anything that is short term and will get you over the hump, but there isn't a ton of that. That's very much more four E and five E design. Mm-hmm. Like that's a bardic inspiration five E right there. That's a thing. That's what it does. Mm-hmm. So right. Um, and it, and this section does say that you know you can use aid another just like you would use it at any time even right. if it's in the middle of a check and blah 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 but that's not really helpful well I mean there's only a two percent chance of you know what I mean well well I, I mean, mean it, it kind of helps a ton 
if so, so that's that was a problem in in forty skill challenges, right? If you're if you're in a situation where uh, you're only counting successes and failures, and you don't have time pressure, then mm-hmm. what you do is you have the player with the best bonus um, be the only one who actually the main. rolls, right. and everyone else just piles another, and that's boring as sin. That's right. so awful. In See, terms once again, of you might as well not roll. Right, you might as well not roll. Yeah, and like, it, cool. We feel like heroes. We do not. Right. And, and so, <laughs> like, that's why that whole approach to helping someone, like, that's why the help action isn't a fixed bonus in Five E. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to the other reasons, it's not a fixed bonus because bounded accuracy, etc. But it doesn't stack if it's advantage. That's the deal. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. Which is, by the way, there was a lot of uh, talk at the beginning about how come advantage, you know, advantage and disadvantage would be much better mechanic if it stacked and if they canceled out instead of not stacking. But I will tell you, the best thing they did was make them not stack in either direction. And if you have one thing that gives advantage and one thing that gives disadvantage, you're at an even roll. No matter what, if you have ten things that give disadvantage and one thing that gives advantage, you're at an even roll. It makes it so simple, uh, and yeah. it does it. It does the same thing that it's intended to do. I'm not saying it's the most eloquent and best. I'm saying it still does the exact thing it was meant to do. Right, and what it creates is a a game and a world where. Uh, Unlikely successes and unlikely failures are still going to come up. Like, uh, uh, you know, you've mm-hmm. uh, you've been blinded, and all these terrible things have happened to you. You have disadvantage from eighteen different right. sources, but your friend your friend tossed a guiding bolt on there. The fact that you can't see the target doesn't matter because guiding bolt doesn't care. And right. so, you you're making a straight roll. That's amazing, actually, and. Right. Um, you know, conversely, uh, everything is in your favor. Every single thing is in your favor, but the enemy has one way to give you give you disadvantage, and they use it. Well, there you go. There you go. Now it's a normal roll again. And right. I, I'm not gonna lie, I was one of the people at the beginning of fifth edition who wasn't great with um, advantage not stacking above one step, and any amount of advantage being canceled by one instance of disadvantage mm-hmm. or vice versa. Um, right. Because during D&D Next, especially, there were a number of uh, magic items and features and such that just really sort of in a blasé way went with, you've just always got advantage in this kind of thing. Well, mm-hmm. now I don't need to think about how to do that well anymore. Like... There wasn't. There's not an attached cost, and there's there's not anything else to to consider. I just always have advantage. That's right. not great. Um, and for example, that's why it's key that reckless attack uh, grants advantage on incoming attacks as well as your outgoing attack. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily want to do it every single time, uh, e- even though you know grog smash. Just because 
there's this disadvantage, or this advantage on enemy attacks coming in, and that can wreck your day in a hurry. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, maybe enough on that for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, sorry, we're in the wrong edition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but here's the thing, right? So th- this is what you know. At the beginning, you kind of introduced this by saying, you know, you definitely see the the through line to fourth edition skill challenges and the fourth edition skill list and somewhat you see a ghost of that in fifth edition. Well, we're kind of illustrating that right now because we're talking about how this sort of setup led to the reasons why fifth edition is the way it is. Yeah, for sure. So next up after this, we get character traits and man, (laughs) I, mm, (laughs) Nope. I don't, I don't like it. Sam, I don't like it. Um, well, let me ask you why you don't like it. Do you do you not like it because you feel like it's it's um, kind of ridiculous to saddle the PC with this character trait that then the the player is required to try and role play? No, no, no that or, part's fine. Like, that part's your... fine. No, no, no. What I don't like about it is that the whole mechanical implementation is. Um, a very fiddly plus one up, uh, minus one down, or maybe as much as two up or two down. Oh, you mean the actual benefits and drawbacks? The actual benefits and drawbacks are tedious and uninteresting. Um, Sure. And and things like um, you gain a plus two bonus on initiative checks in exchange for a minus one penalty to armor class. No. (laughs) No, don't, don't take this. It's terrible. Right. You don't need initiative that much. No one does. Not for AC. Well, and that's that's also, just to tell the audience, that's the aggressive trait. Yeah. So because you're aggressive, you get a plus two bonus on initiative, but a minus one bonus to AC, or penalty to AC. Like, uh... Right. Uh, and so, really? so they're all kind of like this. Like, easygoing. You get a plus one bonus and gather information checks. Drawback: You take a minus one penalty on intimidate checks and sense motive checks. Cool. So, my, my interest in being a social rogue is just out kind of out the window because I took this right. trait and it's a net loss. Like, right. I could have just spent my skill points differently and gotten there. Is my is my point? Right. And then there's this uh, Hardy. You get a plus one bonus to your fort save. You take a negative one penalty to reflex. Like sure. Why? Why? Why do you why do you even take that? Like yeah. If you just have too much reflex save, I guess, but that's not a thing. <laughs> right? No right. no one exactly. says that. <laughs> here's here here's one that, that directly uh is integrates with the last section. Inattentive. You get to the benefit is you choose a skill that allows complex skill checks. You gain a plus one bonus on a simple skill check made using that skill. The drawback, a negative four penalty on any complex skill check made with the chosen skill. Uh, I'm in this photo and I don't like it, Sam. (laughs) Yeah, that's terrible. Just, Isn't that horrible? Like this whole section is just don't take these. They're bad. Yeah, yeah. they're bad and they don't yeah. like you. They're, I don't know. They're person. You know what they are? They're personality feats that suck. Right. 
Well, we're about to get into ones that are worse, but they actually do something, <laughs> right? It's, like, no, that's the next right, section. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, these are supposed to be like, – the whole idea is they're value neutral, right? And it's just mm-hmm. – right. I'd actually like these things about me to probably be, be, be more positive than um, a wash. Like, yeah. I don't know. Um, I'd like to be able to decide my weaknesses in something else. Um, mm-hmm. Just this is not not my deal. Um, the role yeah. playing part is fine. I don't care about that at all. Um, like, I would be fine if all of these were real feats that actually did stuff that they then also expected you to role play. I think that would be fine. Right. Mm-hmm. And this just ain't it chief. Yeah. Well, and I, and I want to point out a couple of two problematic ones. Sure. There's one called skinny and there's one called stout. Skinny says you're very slender for your race. You get a plus one bonus on escape artist checks and you take a negative two penalty on strength checks to avoid being bull rushed or overrun. Skinny characters tend to be pushed around by tougher types, so those with this trait might be shy, or they might be very defensive when faced with such situations. Okay, here's Stout. You're heavy for your race. You gain a plus two bonus on strength checks to avoid being bull rushed or overrun. You take a negative one penalty on escape artist checks. So you see those two are the mirror image of each other, right? Yeah. The opposite mirror image. And then it says role-playing ideas. Overweight characters are often bullied. So those with this trait might be shy, or they might be very defensive when faced with such situations. Some turn to humor to diffuse such situations, while others become bitter. Um, Okay, then how about making the benefit or drawback about those? Yeah. Or how about we don't just assume that anybody who's overweight has been bullied into shyness or defensiveness or anybody who's too skinny for their size has been basically bullied into shyness or defensiveness, right? So the reason I point this out is their benefits and drawbacks are the mirror opposite images of each other, but the role-playing ideas are basically exactly the same. Yep. Which sucks. Yep. So anyway. Because, I mean, let me tell you, man, what third ed D&D needed was some actually institutionalized fat phobia. That is the right. best. Yes. I needed exactly. that on my yeah. character sheet. Right. Right. Mm, right. Cool. Well, and the skinny, the skinny character can't be strong. Yeah. Like really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Phelps would like a word. Yeah. No kidding. So, anyway. anyway, so that so so not only are some of these just really worthless in terms of mechanics, but they're also just some of them are not that great. They're yeah. just really yeah yeah agreed. So character flaws. <laughs> Let's double down on <laughs> traits and make them worse. <laughs> uh, yes, but but I like the character flaw system more. I still don't like it. Don't get me wrong, but on the scale of dislike, this is doing much better than traits yeah. because. Right. I'm accepting a bad thing, and then that becomes a wild card good thing in return, right? Right. Um, well, so I will point out to you that there is an inattentive trait and an inattentive character flaw, and if you have both of those, man. <sighs> yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't have noticed that if you hadn't told me. Uh, <laughs> it's only be it's only because <laughs> nice nice it's only because i saw the 
I just had read the inattentive <laughs> one. So I happen to notice I'm like, because I thought to myself, oh, is there one for each one? But no, there's not. There just yeah. happen to be a few that are named the same. Hey, so. there's also pathetic. This is really <laughs> calling me out, dude. This is great. I was getting called out by Unearthed Arcana in the day. It's the best. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's this. Then it says, uh, the, the effect of pathetic, you reduce one of your ability scores by two. However, here's Accurate. a special requirement. You cannot take this flaw if the total of your ability modifiers is eight or higher. The hell? Yeah, right. <laughs> what? What the hell? Yo. You you have to be – you can't – in other words, you can't beef up and then take pathetic because it wouldn't have any effect (laughs) because you're already so beefed up. So you have to be extra pathetic to even be able to take the pathetic flaw. (laughs) Why? This is bad. Mm -hmm. Um, So right, you can take up the two flaws and um, in return you – are entitled to a bonus feat, and that's fine. I mean, at least you get to decide what the form of your benefit is instead of mm-hmm. here's a garbage benefit that you will never care about. Right. Um, and it's just a, a plus one that's going to disappear into your skill list instantly and never be thought about again. Mm-hmm. Cool. Right. Um. So so yeah, I. I have a very dim view of this. Um, and I don't think I have much more to say about it, really. So now we get into something that is actually good for you, sort of. But it's good for you because mm-hmm. a bad thing happened. <laughs> the spell touch? Yeah. So spell touched. Um, so the idea here is... so so. What I like about this is that I feel like it's a little bit of a precursor of the spell plague in 4E. Um, okay. Because it's transformation by magic. And so you've mm-hmm. got this this magic in you that is residual and does weird stuff. And it's strange and unpredictable. And also just spell touch sounds like spell plague in my right. dim memory of... like. <laughs> Because if they both have I, the word spell in them. But, hush you. So, so look, but I opened the uh, Forgotten Realms um, Player's Guide, I guess it was, to read about the spell plague. It had been a hot damn minute since I had read UA. Right? Yeah. And so like the similarity of those things in the, it starts with spell, it's got a fairly similar like length of word and rhythm of word, fine. Mm-hmm. Um, like drew those together in my head a bit and made me feel like, oh, I've kind of seen this before. I mean, not exactly because it's fourie and it's a power structure, but I've yeah. kind of seen this before, right? And so there's a bunch of different spells where if you've been exposed to the spell, and it's not all uh, negative spells, a lot of them are beneficial spells, um, then you qualify for the feat and you gain something from it. Um, for example, um, exposure to bark skin. It's just bark skin, guys. Come on. It, mm-hmm. y- your, your third level druid can help you out with this. But that that, give, that qualifies you for photosynthetic skin. Well, that's wild cool. and cool. Yeah. Let's go. But it even all, sounds cool. Yeah. Right? But all that does is a plus two to natural armor when outside during the day. Now, 
I mean, that's better than the Dodge feet because Dodge <laughs> is trash. But okay, yeah. But for something with such a rad name, right? Like that's amazing. I mean, look, as a biologist, I'm like, oh, yeah, man. Like, and like some of the other feet names are just fire. Like, let's let's go. Ooh. I want to know what this does. Oh. Like live my nightmare. What's up? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> right, right, right. Requires exposure to phantasmal killer. Send nightmarish vision against creature that targets you with divination effect. Okay, tell me more. All right, right. Um, holy, shit. that's amazing. This is so overpowered. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome though, right? It says you can you can uh, whenever someone successfully targets you with a divination spell or effect, you can send that caster a nightmarish vision. The vision functions as a phantasmal killer spell, except that the form comes from your dreams, not the other creature's dreams. The other creature must succeed on a will save, DC fourteen plus charisma mod, to disbelieve the nightmare, and a and a fortitude save, also DC fourteen plus charisma mod, to avoid dying from fear. Yeah, I mean, or or you could just uh, take the photosynthetic skin and you know get a plus two bonus. But I mean, in fairness, <laughs> you have to survive phantasmal killer, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Which sure might mean you're on your second life. Yes, yes, that's um, true. And so, so like some of these are really cool, and I would, I would at least uh, have an have an interesting time writing these up for fifth edition or if someone else wrote them up, I give it that PDF a look and see what they're doing. There's interesting ideas going on. Um, so, so this is by a substantial margin, the most interesting thing so far in the chapter. Um, I, I also like stench of the dead An odor of decay hangs heavy on you, causing others to gasp and wretch. You have to have been exposed to ghoul touch or vampiric touch and you exude a carrion stench that causes any creature adjacent to you to make a fort save, DC 12 plus charisma, or become sickened as long as it remains adjacent to you and for 1d4 rounds thereafter. You cannot suppress the stench voluntarily. God. <laughs> so horrible. Don't it's awesome. This. I love you it. You will not have party members. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> That's astoundingly bad. <laughs> but th- but that stench of the dead is a quest feat. That is a reason for a group that has right. already been together for a long time to have to yeah. go cleanse their comrade because they can't stand the damn odor. And everybody everywhere they go, everybody says, "Who's dying in here?" So that's a, that's why I like it personally. I think it's hilarious. But talk about derail your com- campaign, right? <laughs> Uh, controlled immolation is a great name. I just want to say, but yeah, so. man. So, so yeah, th- those are actually cool. Uh, whatever the balance, it, whatever's going on in the balance, at least there's a, a, a rad idea at stake, and I'll take that any day. Um, so next we get weapon group feats, yeah. which, oh man, I, I'm sorry, I need a new keyboard. Just skeeted blood out of my eyes, all over my keyboard again. <laughs> Yeah, me too. But I will say, some people live for this, right? Like they just <sighs> they 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 want to think of their character as 
this weapon wielding, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know, it's boring, but I, I, I could respect that. But that's why I don't want to be proficient in all the weapons. I just give me some yeah, damn I know, proficiency. I know. I, know. I like. It's fine. Just I it's just it. not for me. Is all I'm saying. Um, because because like it, it it is the the weapon group thing from um, mm-hmm. combat and tactics. Yep. Right. It, it it breaks down along the same lines, and so in that way, this book is really bringing all the players' option stuff back to me, <laughs> uh, like a, a bad burrito. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Um, I mean, it's okay. Whatever. I, I, I'm just saying. Like, I know some people. I don't know who really like this kind of thing that, about weapons. They just they they are the weapon aficionado, and they love reading the sections of books like this, even if they don't even implement it. They love seeing what you can do with different weapons. So I, I'm okay. I can respect that. I won't use it. Well, not that interesting like to in, me. You know, in third and fourth, I loved a good weapons table mm-hmm. where you know you get the the various. Like specs of the weapon, damage die, damage die for different sizes, fine. Crit range, if there's crit, if, if crit range is a, a thing, mm-hmm. or whatever weird additional effects the weapon has. Sorry, nets in 5e, you guys lose. Anyway, <laughs> um, but a, a couple of pages on feats about how to be proficient with weapons. Nope. No, sir. <laughs> I don't like it. Um, and so next up is craft points, and uh, this is just really, really specifically presaging um, Eberron artificers mm-hmm. in third ed. Like, yeah, no two ways about it. This is just them tooling around with all of that. And well, actually, it may have come out after. So if it came out after, then it's. Offering that system to it's, everyone. Yeah, I don't remember what yeah, you can use this even if you're not playing in Eberron. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so, like, this is actually not bad. Um, in in the balance, like it's saying, okay, so we know that losing experience points to making magic items is a drag. You hate it, uh, but we still don't want to make magic item creation unlimited because we tested that and things get real weird real fast mostly because you don't have a reason to keep adventuring you make a magic item you sell it you have money to now make two magic items which you make and sell this is not what we came here to do so instead we're going to give you a freebie budget that if you don't burn through it it goes away and then you get a new bigger budget at the next level and that's fine right Right, it, it it is actually fine, um, because like in the oh, I guess these don't these don't go away. These don't uh, go if you don't use them because they have total crash points. That's quite nice. Um, so like if you know you want to make something big, and it's it's really just ginormous, then save up for a level and do a little mm-hmm. more adventuring before you start that. I guess, I don't know, uh, jar to hold the Eye of Vecna or whatever, because that's right. <laughs> obviously something you'd craft yourself. Sure. Um, sure. But, um, so just just so you know, uh, both the Eb- 3E Eberron campaign setting guidebook and uh, Unearthed Arcana 3.5, both of them came out in 2004. Sure. That, that actually makes sense. 
Um, and having a um, not apparently everyone specific uh, presentation of those rules doesn't make me sad at all, even if this was a, mm-hmm. a book of extremely optional rules. Anyway, um, like from our perspective now, craft points and such are very heavy on the bookkeeping. But um, to speak in their favor for a moment, um, because they're there, you don't have to like do some of the other things in the economy where selling magic items is painful and horrible, and making powerful magic items takes for frickin' ever that you see in 5th Ed. You can instead collapse some of the time and make some of the sales costs more reasonable because you can't do it indefinitely. You can do it a good bit, but not indefinitely. Not mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. spending experience points, which, as previously attested, is a drag. And then there's some feats to make you more better at crafting, because sure. Right. Because sure. Because you can't have a 3 ebook or any mechanism without some kind of feats. Well, Lord knows everyone didn't. <laughs> so many feats. <laughs> and uh, there's a feat to give you a, bo- a boost in craft points, which just... If I spend a feat and... I'm I'm receiving an influx of points that go away and can then functionally be stolen or like Mordenkind is disjo- uh, can be disjoined. Oh yeah. no! <laughs> oh no! I'm gonna be so mad. <laughs> but Mordenkind's disjunction is how to have a fight with your DM, you know, forever. Yeah. I don't. I'm not a huge uh, crafting aficionado. I don't. I don't really have a, a, a lot of feelings either way about different crafting systems. Like I just. I just don't. They're just not. They're not one of those things that I. So so anyone who knows me uh, from like, my my creative past and is listening to this has just started laughing, and they're doing <laughs> that because I'm the other kind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I could tell. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm, how, to, how to put this? So, uh, when I worked on the Fallen Earth MMO, uh, like, my big, big, big contribution, the, the thing that, like, uh, I, I did that the game was praised for, um, was designing the crafting system and creating all the items. And, like, it's this whole elaborate thing. Uh, with really pretty finely tuned costs and everything. And that that was me because I super duper cared. And I super duper cared all throughout World of Warcraft. And then for the Dust to Dust LARP, I super duper cared. And fortunately, sort of the rest of the committee members about making player driven crafting something that was really, really important. And so we were trying to like revolutionize what was going on in um, crafting systems in Georgia area buffer LARPs, right? Uh, or, or buffer LARPs in the American South. And uh, I mean, not to put too fine a point of it, but that was one of our great, great successes. So from my perspective, a huge part of my creative career has been crafting systems. 
I care about this crap. <laughs> and tabletop is really, really bad at it. It is really yes. hard to make even a remotely okay crafting system in tabletop. Oh See, my and this god! Is, this is why. This is why I don't like usually pay that much attention because they usually suck. Yeah, for sure. Right. And there's a lot of reasons that they suck. And a lot of them have to do with just how the narrative works in, in tabletop. And I don't want to continue this digression any further. It can be a digression <laughs> for a different series because we do those. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, <laughs> it's a thing. It's a problem. <laughs> and I don't blame you for hating it. Just, here we are. We're talking about the thing that is my deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how is the, how, what's your overall assessment then of, of, of the one in this book that we're talking about to get us uh, back on track here? Well, well, so, so craft points, um, it's fine. It solves for the fact that losing XP is a drag. Um, mm-hmm. It's very bookkeepy. But it is not really more bookkeeping than um, th- than core rules. It's just shifted. Um, so it's fine. Um, I don't I don't object to it. Um, it doesn't feel like what I think a crafting system should feel like. But D and D doesn't want to do that. There are really good reasons that D&D doesn't want to do that, and also some bad reasons, and someday, by God, I'm mm-hmm. going to solve it. But uh, this doesn't address the things that I think are really wrong. This is addressing some surface-level problems that just get some of the bad feeling out, and that's worth something. That's that, that's that's not a worthless effort. Just... Sure. Um, this doesn't hit the mark of feeling like you have uh, put something together. This is just, um, you have some credit at the vending machine. Right? Right. And you got some craft points, right. and now you can spin them. Right. Yeah. And, and that whole sense of it feels like a vending machine is the fundamental problem. If, you, if you're just inserting gold coins, it doesn't feel like crafting. Right. Um, but getting D&D to solve that is hard. So, someday. To the moon, Alice. So, so uh, do you? I'm totally digressing, but do you That's know fine. anything about Pathfinder 2? Uh, I know that the my review copy is sitting on the floor of my room. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. I um, mean, I haven't lost the book, so that's good. Yeah. So they have a, a crafting system in there. I was just curious if you had a take on it. Um, I've been meaning to sit down and like really get into reviewing that book for mm-hmm. uh, a long time now, and so mm-hmm. I don't yet because I haven't. Right. Um, if and when I get around to it, it'll be in tribality for sure. Just yeah. um, my work schedule has not made that a realistic possibility. But when you when you get when you get around to looking at that book, then whether it's uh, this year, next year, the year after, I'm curious to to talk to you about the the crafting yeah for crafting sure system that's for sure in there. And 
like there's a there's a crafting system book for five e that um I backed on Kickstarter and I'm I looking forward to seeing too. yeah I'm looking forward to seeing what that does. I don't expect to like it because I don't expect anyone to care about the things I care about <laughs> um, until yeah. I tell them to care about them, right? I, I don't expect right. them to have my perspective until I share my perspective, mm-hmm. right? Right. And I think that I have some ideas that could work. And they just need a lot of refining. Anyway, how about we get back to this thing? Yeah, let's get back to this book. So, 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 okay. So, character background. Oh, it's just backgrounds it's just straight up dead ass backgrounds when when your first when your first heading is how to read the tables and then the next four pages are just tables then you know what you're getting into right but but the the concept that they're trying to lay out here is pointing in the same direction in a Mm -hmm. much more convoluted excessive way um as um 5e backgrounds and oh absolutely sort of there's a direct line right yeah, um, sort of Thor-y, more closely 5e backgrounds than 4e themes. Yeah, I would say so. Um, Though the the feats bit is is a, a nice nod, uh, but yeah, if these had had a trait instead of um, some of the the feat stuff they're doing, uh, mm-hmm. like that would just be oh, they invented one of 5e's killer apps in mm-hmm. 2004 and just sat on that. <laughs> for eight years uh, for right. 10 years cool yeah. great yep. but yeah this is like <laughs> the, the fundamental ideas here are great yeah. just love them um the actual implementation ooh. but um well there's something i really like about this and we haven't gotten to the chapter where they talk about it so it hasn't been mentioned yet but sure. one of the things that they do is they they connect these backgrounds in the different tables with a reputation score. And reputation is one of the options in this book that happens later nice. in chapter five or six or one of those. And I really like that they bothered to do that. And they, you know, and, and so that the last two columns of all of these tables is reputation and recognition. And it's it's trying to connect something that could turn into a really narrative driving force to what you're saying your background is, which I think is because they make it a mechan- it's a mechanical number, they almost it almost does it better than 5e. Because you know in 5th in edition backgrounds, they have that whole, you know, here's your bonus or here's your kind of the the advantage that you get from yeah. having this as your background, right? And theoretically that advantage is something that could be leveraged in multiple different situations. But if your DM is not really into that and the player doesn't really bring it up or feel comfortable bringing it up or doesn't even realize that it could really be a thing in that game, or if there's no sort of background ideal flaw personality thing that that 5e wants to do, if the DM or the, the GM is not doing any of that, then the player might just not even care about their background in 5e. But in this, in the third edition version of this, because it has the reputation and recognition part to it, that could have a direct effect on the game. And it's a, it's a number. So however you want to feel about plus one, plus two modifiers, all that crap. Sure. When you put a number on something in third edition, suddenly it means something to a large group of players. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So I, I like that they did that. That's almost my favorite thing about this. No, um, it's, that's a really that, good point. It's know, super strong. Um, and yeah, well, the context the, column is very promising. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Even if yeah, I yeah, need yeah. to do a little digging to find out what it does. Oh, what's another variant that we haven't gotten to yet? It's, it's also with that that Chapter 6 variant. That Chapter 6 is a, a maybe one of my favorite chapters in this book. But um, nice. yeah, so it, it – it goes all with that. There's a whole honor thing and everything. There's 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 a bunch of stuff in there. But this chapter tries to take what your background is, your PC's background, and add all that stuff along with you know some feats and skills and all that stuff too that yeah. you typically might find. But well, yeah, I, okay. I like it. And this is really really interesting because um, it's it's interested in like like each table is really a five E background. More or less, mm-hmm. though, though some of them right. you you cut a little more finely um, it, it, to bring into five E, like government background uh, activities. While spy is separate from, um, say, honor guard, but some of these mm-hmm. would still make pretty good new backgrounds in five E. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about mining this right right here right now. There's some good stuff. Yeah. Um, yep. Like the military background activities, there's literally a table in the five E um, soldier background. Where mm-hmm. you pick which one of these you are, or roll for it. Right, like, that's just a thing. Yeah, it's great. Yep. So, so this is a very strong section to me, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, I want to see some of the maybe rough edges sanded off of implementation here, and sure. see it sort of brought more into the center of the whole deal. Mm-hmm. But this is imagining a very different D and D, and I'm here for it. This, this is yeah. good. Good content. Well, and as a player who who likes playing clerics, yeah, um, the religious background is a great table. It it is, yeah. Those are those are cool. Like those those are grabby. Yeah, these are like I, I'm like you. I, I want to like take some of these and turn them into backgrounds for my own homebrew setting. Yeah, because for sure. I mean, you know, there's some there's some interesting stuff going on there. Yeah. So so yeah, uh, definitely the chapter finish is very strong with with this content. Um, and you know what else that can be done with this? Sorry to interrupt you, but no, like ahead. there's a uh, on the next page there's an underworld background activity thing mm-hmm. that is perfect for making a downtime complication table. Yeah, it is right. <laughs> like if you're if your players are in a city. And they're doing whatever. They don't even have to be at the gambling den or the brothel or the tavern or what. They can just accidentally be walking down the wrong alleyway. And then, hey, all of a sudden, you are faced with some complicating event that has to do with rolling uh, on this table right here. <laughs> and I mean... Yeah, well, like, this is this is beautiful because this feels like, oh, are you telling me that... Third edition D and D stumbled into almost creating Blades in the Dark. Just two thousand four. That's wild. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like. Right. Oh, it's, it's really yeah. good. Just where is this in other books? Bring, bring this energy more often. Um, right. And it's not that the DMG, the fifth edition DMG, doesn't like give you some of this, though. You have to do some drilling down to to get to it. Right. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, this is very strong. Um, 
I do think it's funny how the underworld uh, background activities is much more an activity than mm-hmm. just a job like that you have right. all the time. It's not yes, scribe yes, exactly. or scientist. <laughs> right. It's assassination. Yep. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Let's go. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, but it, this is this is this is good. This is a good section. Boy, I hope our our fans are okay with having a uh, an eight episode arc here with this book. <laughs> Dude, I, I did actually say we were not getting through this soon, but no, I know this is know. still slower than I uh, admittedly hoped. But hey, well, this was an I interesting mean, chapter to, to talk about. Yeah, to to be fair, we're we're also trying to do our edition wars thing and yeah. compare. You know, we're not just reading the book to you. We're 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 talking about how you can see the seeds of what be, became some you know factor of the rules in fifth edition. You could see it back way back here in two thousand four, ten years prior. And and also remember when they when they were when they were uh, creating fifth edition when it was D anD D next, and they were doing they were doing like they were playing the game every day, and they were playing different editions in the lead up to that. Yep. So. You know, just to sort of, you can imagine that they that they looked at this book and said, "Okay, what things out of here, you know, worked well enough that we might want to consider them as part of the next edition, right?" And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, just in terms of the evolution of a game. Yeah, for sure. Um. So, well, let's round it up there then. And so uh, why don't you tell us where people can find you on the internet? So um, my personal blog is brendastutter.com. I also write for Tribality. I have a Patreon that supports my blog, uh, which is brendastutter. And you can find me on Twitter at brendastutter. Excellent. And I am DM Samuel. You can find me on Twitter at DM Samuel. And you can find me on my blog at RPGmusings.com. And you can find me, uh, you can find my live stream game on twitch.tv slash don't split the podcast on Sundays, although we're in a little bit of a hiatus because of uh, the pandemic. Um, And then you can find that in podcast form on the don't split the podcast network. And I hope that you, I actually do hope that you're enjoying this, this, um, this book as we go through it. Uh, I do think it has some fascinating things that, uh, that are of interest even to fans who've only played fifth edition. So with that, I will say goodbye. Also in conclusion, (laughs) black lives matter, arrest the cops, the shot Breonna Taylor, trans rights are human rights. Are we good? Wear your damn mask. Wear your damn mask. Now we're good.